Hello, you're listening to Artspin on Sin Nation with myself, Christian, this afternoon, and I'm very happy to be joined here on the phone by uh, Rosie Jones, the director of um, the new or fairly new, I suppose, um, documentary called The Family. When was um, when was The Family completed, Rosie? Uh, the Family was completed in time for the Melbourne International Film Festival last year, so hmm. we screened it there uh, on the last day of July. Right. Um, and I should say, of course, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Thank you. Yeah, wonderful to speak to you. Um, so I, I suppose to, to start off, with, could you maybe tell us a little bit about how this project got started, how you first got onto the story of the family and the sect? Yeah, uh, look, I was researching for another documentary and I was interviewing a woman who suddenly started telling me a completely different story. And that was about <laughs> her involvement in this group called The Family. And she told me an incredible story about how she'd been taken off to a psychiatric hospital and given electroconvulsive therapy and LSD. And then somehow uh, a very voluptuous and gorgeous blonde woman was connected with the hospital and she started doing yoga and eventually found herself in this cult. And really, it had ended up wrecking her life. And as she started to tell me all these details, I remembered... The images I'd seen back in 1987 of half a dozen blonde children rescued from Lake Eildon and they all had these strange pudding bowl cuts and white blonde hair and they were dressed identically and had a very odd stare in their eyes. And, you know, the story had got a lot of press back then and continued to do so as police tried to track down Anne Hamilton Byrne, who was the leader of this group. And so, you know, I started getting involved in the research and it's an incredible story and it happened in the middle of Melbourne, a very conservative Melbourne back in the the 1960s when the cult began. So, look, I I just kept digging and eventually found the people who are in the film. Right. And um, could you maybe tell us a bit about the um, the first few things that learnt that... mm, or your initial reactions to what you learnt about, well how long it took for um, this cult to be found, how it managed to, to basically thrive for so long, and also just, you know, the, biz- the bizarre nature of, um, of everything that was going on in, in Lake Yildon and everywhere else. Right. Well, gosh, I'm not quite sure where to start that, but um, <laughs> maybe I'll start with the last bit about the bizarre nature of what was going on. Mm. Um, it seemed that up at Lake Yildon, these blonde children, 28 of these kids had gone through this property at Lake Eildon on the shores of Lake Eildon and 14 of them understood that their parents were Anne and Bill Hamilton Byrne and they were being brought up to be a future master race. Anne Hamilton Byrne led an apocalyptic sect and they thought the world was going to end and that these fabulous kids that were being brought up at Lake Eildon they would be taken up into a spaceship and then once the world that this sort of apocalypse had happened they would be brought back down to earth again and they would lead the survivors to another world a better world so you know that was a pretty pretty big aim hmm. so the kids at Lake Hilden were brought up under a very strict regime they were yoga was very new in Australia in the 1960s and the, these kids were collected from probably um, about 1970, and they were under a strict regime of yoga, vegetarianism, uh, drugs. They were tranquilized so that they would be reasonably docile. At 14, they were dosed with LSD, and this was part of an initiation ritual into the sect. And sometimes that LSD 
experience will go on for days at a time. They would be dosed and then redosed and kept in a dark room alone, which was terrifying at 14 mm. years of age. They essentially were regimented, they were beaten, they were not fed very much, um, and if they did anything wrong, they food would be taken off them. We, I, I spoke to one person who said she had been denied food for a week for some minor misdemeanour. Um, the beatings were savage. They were undertaken by Anne and Bill Hamilton Byrne, as well as people they called the aunties and uncles who they left on the property to look after the kids when they were overseas, which they often were. So it was a vicious place and it was psychologically very damaging for the children. While, you know, it, it wasn't a, a sort of massively walled community or anything like that, the children were actually imprisoned there because of their beliefs as much as anything else. They just had no knowledge of the outside world to speak of and thought that if they ran away, they would be beaten up, killed, raped, whatever, that the outside world was really wicked. So it was a prison as much in their minds as it was, you know, in a physical form. Yeah, yeah. I, I have, am I answering your question? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I, I was. I know. I, I also just. I uh, knew another thing. Of course, that. Uh, yeah, fascinated, disappointed, like rather, uh, and, and I guess appalled in, in some ways. Me when I was watching the film was the fact that you know y- yes, the police were called and did did visit and spoke to the children and what was it they they are um they were asked if they were being fed properly they said yes because this was the best that they'd ever known um the education department made a visit and um and believed the what they dressed it up as a school for the day um and and that was enough to convince them what the impressive equations thrown on the blackboard it was a uh, registered school so um i suppose what what do you think might be more um sort of disturbing that the fact that Anne um, and her husband Bill did these things to these children or the fact that they were able to for for so long um, and in some ways under the nose of of the authorities? Mm. Look, I think both things are appalling uh, and and it is incredible that this went on for so long and even though the property that they lived on was isolated, it was a holiday ground for Melbourne so those kids could see through the trees down to the lake where other people were on holiday, you know, swimming and boating and so on. So it wasn't so isolated that nobody knew. They were occasionally taken into the shops at Lake Eildon. So people saw them, they knew they existed, but I think it was part of the culture at the time that you didn't interfere. Also, I think for the police, things like issues with children and women and issues in the home were considered domestic issues, not the issues of real policing. And this was something for the community services, not the police. So that was Mm. another sort of attitude to domestic affairs, which is only really recently changing, I think. Another major thing was that the co-founder of the sect was a man called Dr. Rainer Johnson, who was a head of Queen's College at Melbourne University. And he was incredibly respectable. Most of the members of this cult were doctors, lawyers, architects, academics, and Dr. Rainer Johnson as the co-founder with Anne. So it was highly respectable. You know, why, I guess, people just turned a blind eye because they saw that all these very respectable middle-class professionals were in the cult, and I think they didn't believe that they would harm anybody. They just... I think that respectability gave this group a lot of cover 
And to all intents and purposes, they didn't live in a hippie commune wearing strange clothes and beads and flowers in their hair. They were all going out to work, as anybody else in the community was at that time. They didn't appear different on the surface. And so I think, you know, people kept to themselves. They might have thought strange things were going on, but they didn't do anything. And, I mean, another aspect that I think is incredible is that uh, some of the children who were in the intended master race were literally stolen from public hospitals. And that was that could happen because the sect had doctors and nurses and social workers in their midst and they could fudge the paperwork. So, you know, the sect had access to all these levels of power and authority that often is not the case with other cults. So, and they had their own, they, they actually owned a private psychiatric hospital where Anne would recruit members and also take people for their LSD uh, initiations. So, you know, they had it really all sewn up in that respect. It was a very respectable cult on the surface. <laughs> yeah. and, and you wouldn't expect the aunties and uncles who looked after the children were, you know, experienced nurses and, mm. and school teachers. So you don't expect those people to also be vicious to children. But that, unfortunately, was the case. Mm. I guess it's sort of one thing once the cult has sort of gotten to that point of influence. But um, what, what was your um, interpretation of how the cult sort of got to that point, you know, in, in the early days when it was just, what, uh, and, uh, you know, even... Um, and the sort of uh, schoolgirl who was looking at the private school students and sort of experiencing mm-hmm. that envy, you know, to get to that point of, I guess, in some ways you could call it, yeah, invincibility even, at least to the to the people who, um, you know, left and were too afraid to speak out against and afterwards. Um, how did the, the sect family get to that point, do you think? I guess that's a, a question about Anne's charisma, that she was able to draw people in and really bomb them with love and you know once they were given this huge dose of love and a sense of belonging I think they sort of signed themselves over to her so once they agreed to the deal the terms of joining the sect it meant that really all communications went through Anne so even husbands and wives wouldn't talk to each other about what she said and they actually, they were ordered not to, and they didn't. She played with people's lives to the point that they were her puppets, essentially. So she would split up loving couples and put each person with new partners, whether they wanted that or not. You know, she would take people's children from them and even have them looked after by other people. She was manipulating everybody to the point that they so much relied on her that she had total control of their lives. And so I think once you've got an army of people who look to you for guidance on absolutely everything and you instill them with the fear of God if you if they don't obey, you know, you can do almost anything with people, I think. And the people, the adults that I've spoken to who joined the cult voluntarily, they talk about her that she was very incisive psychologically. So they, she would be able to pick out what their need was. So some people felt as children that they were not loved by their families or their mother was not well and not able to give them love. And so they always grew up with this lack. And when they say that when they met her, they just 
sort of crawled towards her like a moth to flame because she was offering to fill up that need that they had, a really strong need. And everyone has something like that. You know, all of us have something that's not quite satisfied, a lack in some way. And she was able to very cleverly perceive what that was and individualise what she offered that person. Or she would use guilt. She would make people feel guilty for something they've done in their lives. And she would somehow blackmail them with that. So, look, she had a lot of psychological strategies that meant people were bound to her incredibly strongly. And I think people just didn't betray her for a very long time. And then gradually, as things got very bad, they started to betray. And that's when things started to unravel. Mm. And then, of course, she's she, you know, she's certainly not the, unfortunately, not the first and probably won't be the last person, I guess, to prey on these sorts of insecurities and, and this damage. And um, I remember some of the interviewees were saying that even after they'd left the family, they had to be careful not to just join another cult um, immediately mm. after. To yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that's right. And I think, I mean, we could, there's plenty of cults around now. We can, we can look at all sorts of different <laughs> cults, but I think it's the same attraction that this leader character has charisma, they're very attractive, and they're offering something that gives meaning to a life, much more meaning than the life has without this person. So, you know, I, th- I can see that this story is relevant to a much larger picture than a cult. Mm. And uh, I suppose, are you hoping that, um, uh, so throughout, for example, the Q&A screenings that you're doing and um, and the, the general sort of release of this film, that people will, you know, realize that this does have that uh those broad implications and it's i guess more than just sort of it's a it's a curi- yeah a curiosity yeah yes absolutely i, I mean i i see this as a much more of a universal story about hmm. um, human psychology that it's about what we do for love it's about notions of loyalty and family yes i i i think while it's about this one particular cult hmm. it's actually about our human nature really i think it asks lots of questions underneath the surface of the story of this cult yes right well i certainly hope so <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah absolutely and yeah it's i think it's um you know it's it's great that today for instance you're having yeah um q a screening where your people you know if, even if immediately they're not thinking about the universality of it um hopefully it will get drawn out in the in the question time yes yes exactly Mm. Yes, and we're lucky with the the questions we've got. Um, well, Anna Greaves, the producer, and myself, but also uh, Lex Deman, who was one of the police investigators. And at each Q and A session, we've got one of the former children who have graciously agreed to talk. Uh, wow. And people always find that fascinating. I mean, there's always so many questions at the end of the film, uh, mm. which I think is terrific. It's it's a it's a uh, opening of a discussion about all these sorts of issues. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what you want for it to prompt people to to look further and to think further about it. That's but, right. Yeah, because it'd be pretty hard, I, I would imagine, to if if you wanted to try and cover everything, sew it all up in you know less than a hundred minutes. <laughs> that's, yeah. Oh God! I mean, mm. the other thing that we found in making the film is that every time you answer one question there's mm. always another and mm. the sect had tentacles that reached out in all <laughs> sorts of different directions so I mean we haven't even in the film really touched on some of the more international things like that they had a property next door to the ashram of a, a man called Swami Muktananda who was another 
yogi and and leader of this very large international movement that Anne was trying to take over. So there's a whole sort of American part of the story. There's also connections through the LSD use with the CIA and mind control programs that they were running at that time. So there's, I mean, we just found it was enormous and there's still so much information coming out and so much stuff that we just couldn't fit into what we've already got. I mean, we know this is the beginning of a discussion. It's certainly not certainly not the end, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rosie. Were, were there any um, final things you wanted to say uh, about the film and about well, yeah, the, the family, the film, the, the family in general, um, your research, your work around it? Oh, well, look, I, I hope from showing the film that, number one, it's beneficial for the people in the film, and they have said that getting the story out there is beneficial that the sex motto was unseen, unheard, unknown. And mm, and this is the opposite. Our, yeah. our film and the book, also called The Family, that we have published, just get so much more information out there. And I think one way of breaking these sorts of very secretive groups is to tell the story publicly. And so I'm hoping that by getting all, all of this out there, we bring up the story into the public eye again and that perhaps it can be reinvestigated. That's what I'd like to see and that some of the people who have suffered so greatly as a result of being either born into the cult or choosing to go into it and then leaving, I hope that some of those people can be compensated in some way mm. yeah, for, that's, their, that's... for their pain. Definitely. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's a really tricky one. How how could it that be is. compensated? But, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, that is, would be hmm. my that would be my greatest delight if something mm. like that could happen if it is reopened and looked at. Mm. Well, of course, yeah. These these are real people in the film, after all. So that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank thank you so much again, and uh, best of luck with the the rest of the release of the the film, the Q and A's, and um your um yeah your aims with it. I hope it. Yeah, it does um does do as much as it possibly can for um the victims, I guess, of the cult and and also just of, of any other cults that are out there. Yeah, mm, terrific. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Great to talk to you. <laughs> you too. Thanks, Rosie.